well. Normally in the month of May, we champion the global mission cause, but we're doing it different this year. And uh, we're going to start this morning. And what we're going to do is over the next couple of months, we're going to introduce you, hopefully get you a little bit better acquainted with all of the mission activity that we support overseas. And the mandate of God is very clear. It's, uh, it's here, there and everywhere in um, my language. It's uh, you know, Hamilton, New Zealand, the nations of the world. And so this, over the next probably 10 weeks, we're going to just lift the profile of global mission a little bit more. And I really encourage you to engage with what's happening and, um, and enjoy what's happening around the world uh, as we celebrate what we're doing globally together. It's great having uh, Elska on the team this year. She has picked up kind of the, the legwork of what's happening and, and lifting the profile and it, it's so good. And um, you'll see in a moment that we're going to do things a little bit different. Hopefully as you came in, you got a card. I'll talk about those shortly. But let's watch a video for a couple of minutes first. Hello, it's a great pleasure to be able to present Global Missions 2016 to you today. I'd like to sit in front of you today and say, look, we've seen 500 churches planted in the last year, but that's not the case. Our focus has shifted and the focus of our missionaries has shifted somewhat to working with people groups that it's actually really hard to penetrate with the gospel. But I encourage you, please invest in Global Missions. We are right on the edge of the Great Commission, where we've been asked to be. We're working hard on every front and we are seeing results. It is a great pleasure to be on this journey with you. doing that in Hong Kong. Thank you so much for your support and partnership with what we're doing here. Hey, hey, hey. Bonjour, je m'appelle Kay. Je suis un missionnaire à Bruxelles, My name is Kay. I'm a missionary in Brussels, Belgium. Hi to everybody at Activate Church in Hamilton. My name is Brent Weaver. I am working in Kyiv, Ukraine. I'm uh, involved predominantly in disciple making amongst uh, Ukrainian young people. 
meeting uh, new people through our English clubs and uh, summer English camps. You're most welcome to come along to them in July and August this year. Church, thank you very much for supporting us uh, over these many years. Igniting church planting movements in Western Europe, that's what we do. Uh, what I saw in 1989 is beginning to take place. Very exciting to see the momentum beginning to build like crazy. So thank you so much for your support. God bless you. Exciting, eh? Isn't that good? So hopefully when you came in, you got this one on your seat, this card. We're doing postcards this year. Um, the idea of this is that you can write a message to any of our uh, people that we're supporting, pop it in the giving boxes at the doors, and this will. what we'll do is we'll get them together and send them on their way to them. But can I encourage you, if you've got a pen right now, the Burtons are coming home from Belgium at the end of May, early June, uh, coming home permanently. And it would be really great to write a note of encouragement. You know, we're looking forward to seeing them, praying they'll settle well, all of that sort of thing on here. If you can write a whole bunch of these and put them in the letterbox today, the Nobolos are going to be... Actually, you could do this... Don't welcome Kay back. She's not coming back, but say hi to Kay if you want to do another one. Uh, the Nobelos are going to be in Belgium in a fortnight's time, and they will take them all and give them to them personally. So that would be really nice if we could do that. So feel free to get your pen out and write something on there. You'll also see another card. Hopefully you got this one when you came through the door. If not, we'll try and get it to you on the way out. It has our mission mandate on it, which has changed a little bit from previous years we've sharpened up the pencil a little. So our global mission mandate is activating community transformation by making disciples, 
establishing and strengthening churches based on a global apostolic and prophetic mandate to extend His kingdom as directed by the Holy Spirit. It's really exciting to be what, involved with what God's involved in. And uh, I've got this great sense of expectation that God is going to open up some incredible doors for us as we move forward. So I encourage you to get involved. That's on one side. On the other side is how you can be involved. It is a faith commitment card as well. That's the way we sow financially into global missions here. And uh, all the details are on there. But can I really encourage you to get involved with what we are doing through global mission this year. And I look forward to keeping you updated over the next few weeks of what's happening. Anna and Nam are going to be with us next weekend. They, uh, we used to say they're from Vietnam. They're not now, they're from everywhere. They, their feet hardly touch the ground. I think they're on the road 35 weeks of the year. And um, in Vietnam, they're in all sorts of places in India at the moment. Africa, they're going to Africa later in the year. They'll tell you their story next week. Um, I spent a couple of hours with them this week. Really, really exciting what God is doing through their ministry. So make sure you come out to hear them. That'll be great. Well, if you're doing Faith 101 this morning with Josh, I believe now is the time to go. So you can head out to that. And Joe, why don't you come and lead us around communion this morning? Well, good morning, church. Um, can I just ask the hosts, please distribute the um, emblems? Um, so when I first was asked to give this uh, communion message, I, I thought back to the last time that I was asked to do this, um, which was actually a few years ago. It was back when I was 16, um, so quite a few years ago, um, back up at uh, a vineyard church up in Auckland where my parents uh, used to go. And um, when I gave that message, I, I talked a lot about um, how I felt that the church underestimated, and, and I think this was a, a general concept for, for all sort of uh, common Pentecostal churches, that I felt we underestimated the significance or holiness um, of, the, of communion. Um, and that perspective came because I was raised in a Catholic church, and, and in the Catholic church, communion is a big deal, okay? In fact, communion is probably the biggest deal. Um, to be able to partake of communion, you have to take a little course, right? You've got you to meet with the priest and you go through a little course. And when you have your first Holy Communion, it's, you know, it's a, a rite of passage similar to maybe you know, turning 21 or, or baptism within the Protestant church. Um, but that's not actually what I want to talk to you um, about today. I, I think there's still merit in that message, but it's not what I want to talk about. Um, so two weeks ago, I attended my grandmother's funeral. Um, and she was a devout uh, Catholic woman, and so consequently her funeral was a traditional Catholic Mass. Um, and I remember sitting there going through the process, um, uh, attending Mass, and it's the first time in a long time I've attended Mass. And I remember watching the priest go through uh, the process of communion, and it felt very much like a ritual. Okay, and that's not um, any sort of criticism about the performance, um, if you want to use the term, um, of the priest. I thought he did a, a fantastic job. But it appeared that he was sort of walking through some steps um, following a process that he didn't necessarily understand. Right? He was trying to do something. Uh, he knew it worked, but you know, he was kind of going through a particular process. Um, and that, that, that sort of reminded me of um, a chapter in the book, Mere Christianity, um, by C.S. Lewis. Um, how many people have read or have read Simon Willough, but anybody else here read? Yeah, brilliant. 
Okay, that's right. Um, and there's a, there's a the passage early on in the book where, where Lewis writes. He says, The central Christian belief is that Christ's death has somehow put us right with God and given us a fresh start. Theories as to how it did this are another matter. A good many th- different theories have been held as to how it works. What all Christians have agreed on is that it does work. Um, And so while there are undoubtedly differences in doctrine between the Catholic Church and and Activated Church, Activate Church, the important thing really is that we all believe that it works. Lewis goes on to explain that the problem with any theory as to how communion works, how our our repentance works, is is the issue that we're trying to describe the indescribable. In his words, Christ's death is just that point in history at which something absolutely unimaginable from the outside shows up in our world. And unfortunately, for somebody like me, that, that as an answer isn't very satisfactory, okay? To think that, there's, that it works, but we can't understand why it works. So for those who don't know me, I'm, I'm a lecturer up at the university and I teach chemistry and I, I research chemistry and I spend my entire working day earning a limit, living trying to understand how and to a lesser extent why certain things happen. Right? I do that in the context of chemistry, but it creates a mindset where you want to try and understand how and why everything in the world actually happens. So the most common understanding of how Christ's death and resurrection atone for our sins is that he somehow volunteered to take the punishment that we should have had. However, that sort of raises a number of questions, right? If you think about that logically, you think, well, if God was going to pardon my sins and and excuse those sins, why exactly did he need to have an innocent man be punished for that, right? Why, why, Why not just let us off, right? Why do we have to kill somebody to be able to atone for our sins? And when you think about that, right, if you think about that in a, in a sort of modern context, then you imagine a judge, right, so you're, you're, you've, you've done something naughty and you appear in the courtroom and the judge punishes you and he says, right, you're going to have, you know, 15 years in prison for doing something particularly naughty. It would be ludicrous to think, well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to get Wayne and he's going to serve my sentence for me, right? I'm going to take somebody else and let them sit in prison, go through that process, really simply just so that the prison can operate and continue. Right? It doesn't make much sense. A better way to think about it, however, if we, keep the, the prison, the, if we keep the judicial analogy, is that if we imagine that you were not uh, sentenced to a prison uh, term, but instead you were given some sort of fine, right? You've done something naughty, and the, the judge says, right, you've got to pay $10,000 to pay that off. Now, in that context, if you happen to have a very wealthy and a very generous friend who's going to give you the money to pay that debt, that, that suddenly makes much more sense, right? The, the court has no jurisdiction over exactly who pays that fine. Another way of thinking about that, as we've gone through our life, you know, we might not do anything naughty that we think will end up, lead us into prison, but we might do, you know, little naughty things here and there, and that's, that's kind of like racking up a big credit card bill of sin. And the point is that Jesus, very kindly, is prepared to pay that bill for us in full, no interest. In closing, I'd like to uh, offer one final thought. Our God is generous and he is forgiving beyond your comprehension. You may have a big debt, but he has bigger and he has deeper pockets than you can ever imagine. And he delights in being in a position to be able to pay that debt. What I'd like you to do is look at the bread and the juice that are in your hands. 
Their substance reminds us of what Christ did on the cross, but their size is just for logistic convenience. Their scale in no way represents God's heart for you. I believe some people in here will have this sense that they've done something so bad, so naughty, so awful that God couldn't possibly forgive them. And so instead of imagining that little tiny cup in your hand and thinking that that's how much uh, forgiveness God has for you, think of Richie McCaw holding the Blitherslow cup, right? This ginormous cup, they fill it with beer and we can talk about that later, but, <laughs> but pouring that back, drinking from that enormous cup that no one person could possibly drink from, right? That is God's love and forgiveness for us. So please eat and drink in your own time and reflect on what God did on the cross. And even if you're like me and you're still grappling with exactly how it all works, simply remind yourself that it does. And ultimately, that's all that matters. Thank you. so amazing that no one person could possibly drink from it without all the other people holding that cup as well. And this morning, there was such a strong sense in the prayer meeting beforehand and in the weeks leading up to this service, this moment, this gathering, excuse me, this moment of the peace of God. We've been talking about it, we've been praying into it, the peace of God. And um, I felt the Lord say just now um, about connection. And where does the peace of God come from? It comes from your connection with Jesus. It comes from you diving into Jesus, into the river, into the well, whatever metaphor you want, image you, you want to have of that. But, but really getting into who Jesus is, looking into His eyes, as Libby shared last week. And we do that together. We do that as a group. You can't do it on your own. And this one last thought. When, sometimes in life we feel like the, the peace of God is kind of slipping from us, or where did it go? All right? And we try to hold on to that peace and try to grab the peace back. All right? We're like we're after the peace. But I feel the Lord saying, no, hold on to me. Connect with me. Look to me. And you will have all these things. All right, so this morning, let's look to Jesus. Let's look to Him. Let's lift Him up. Let's do that as a group. Praise you, Lord. We're going to sing Our Father in a moment. Come on. Yeah, we look to You. Yeah, we love You, Lord. Sing Our Father. Our Father. In heaven, I 
He'll be silent, church. Come on, tell him how much you love him. Here I love you, Lord. Come on, church. Let's raise our hands to our God. Let's do it. Let's do it. Lord, we love you. Lord, we're here to honor you. Lord, we love you. We look straight at you. Look, if you need to close your eyes so you... So you can focus on Jesus and do that. Do that now. Here's the moment. Here's our opportunity together. Oh, we love you. Yeah, we love you. Oh, we worship you. Yeah. Oh, Lord, it's your kingdom. That's why we're here.
here and now I surrender I am desperate for a moment with you a moment with you I am lost in your goodness I'm surrounded, I am found in your love, I'm found in your love, here in your presence, here in your presence, here in your arms, there's nothing better than knowing your love, help me to trust you. More every day, oh, hold my forever, you I will stay. Just to know you, just to know you is all I want. Just to know you is all I need. Just a moment and I. Just a moment with you singing just to know you, just to know you is all I want. Oh, just to know you is all I need. Oh, just a moment and I am free. Just a moment with
our eyes on you no one else will do fix our eyes on you on you Jesus you're our peace You're our strength, you're our hope, oh, you give us faith, Lord, Lord, stir our hearts to walk in your way, to activate faith, Lord, come on. God in this place this morning. In Jesus' name. We bind up the chaos of thinking, overthinking, busyness. Allow the peace of God to wash over every person this morning. In Jesus' name. As we were singing the first song there, I thought it'd be really, really good for us to pray the Lord's Prayer together. I've been praying it a lot lately myself because it just opens up into a whole, if you think about what you're praying, it opens you up to a whole lot of places in your prayer life. But why don't we say it together this morning? Why don't we pray it together this morning? I'll go with a fairly traditional version so that hopefully you can stay with me. But you ready? Here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgotten our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the power Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit amongst us today. I thank you that you're bigger than any problem, no matter how big it is that we may face. Lord, as we pray, as we worship, as we celebrate, I ask that you'd release faith in people's hearts today in Jesus' name.
that our eyes would be fixed on you, Jesus. Let your peace rest on every person. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning it's great to have Chris Hubbard going to open up the Word of God to us. Chris is the CEO at ATC, which is you know, a ministry birthed of the church here. And uh, up until August last year, Pastor Trevor Wilson had been leading for the last decade, done a great job. And um, Chris has come in as of August, and he's really getting his feet under the table now, stamping his mark on it. He's doing a fantastic job. And uh, so it's really good for us to be able to hear from Chris this morning. He is a man of faith. I encourage you to open your hearts, open your ears, open your eyes to what the Holy Spirit's saying this morning. Allow the Spirit to stir you a little and engage with where God's taking us together. Can you give Chris a hand as he comes, please? Privilege and honour. Thank you for the uh, chance to speak this morning. <clears throat> I thought um, I was going to bring my iPad Mini. And I thought, nah, it's not really big enough. Could upgrade to the uh, the iPad Air, but then I thought, oh man, the iPad Pro. Now that's really doing it. But I thought I would go to the iPaper and um, <clears throat> notice the expandable screen. It's readable in full sunlight. It works with any stylus. And um, the most amazing things, of course, is the fact that the battery never, ever runs flat. And doesn't matter how many times you break it, you can never crack the screen. So I'm going with that this morning. <clears throat> I'm um, buying something for the house, and I looked around for a company that could, or companies that could quote for it. And... Um, I just felt normally I'd get two or three quotes, but this time I thought, oh, this company's giving some good prices, I'll just go with them. So I contacted them and they eventually rang me during this week and said, oh, can we come around Saturday morning and give you the quote? And I thought, oh, that's, that's gold time for prepping, you know? That's my Jesus time. <clears throat> but I thought, oh, okay, it's after 11, that's, that's okay. Anyway, this is a large business that runs across three different regions across New Zealand, uh, well into the millions and turnover. And um, when he came in the morning, I got the owner came around and see me. And uh, we quickly discovered that he was a Christian, and we spent most of the time, <laughs> time talking about the Word. And uh, it was quite amazing. It was a good time. And he started talking about how blessed his business is and how busy he is. And uh, if I want to go ahead with the quote, it's going to be a month before he can even get back um, because God's given him so much work. And... Then he was talking about, you know, just we love giving to missions out of the business. And then he talked about, you know, he'd been given over years, of course, since he started the business. And this year he's got this figure in his mind that he wants to achieve to give to missions. And it was massive. It was a really huge figure that he wants to give to missions. And I thought, no, no wonder his business is being blessed. And it was just an interesting time. Anyway, that's got nothing to do with what I was going to say. But... Um, <clears throat> I've been reading Psalm 91 
for many years. And what I'm going to speak from this morning is Psalm 91. So if you want to follow along, I'll be zipping in and out, but I'll be coming back there all the time. And uh, two years ago, God gave me a revelation of three stages of relationship with him from Psalm 91. And I want to share that with you this morning. So how many find Psalm 91 is one of their favorite psalms? Quite a few? Yeah. Good positive psalm, isn't it? Full of promises, full of uplifting stuff. So verse 1 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Isn't that amazing? The secret place is where we meet God. Our private relationship with Him. You know, if President Obama uh, sent you a message saying, I'd like to meet up with you, or the Queen, or uh, someone else said, I want to meet up with you, who's a famous person, you'd be honoured. But God's not trying to make an appointment with you. He's saying, you can come to me any place in your secret place and join with me. And I'm the almighty God who made the universe, and I want to meet with you whenever you want and wherever you want. Isn't that an amazing privilege? Absolutely amazing. And the really neat thing is that I've never got into that secret place and had to wait for Sheridan to finish. He's always there just for me and just for you. He's always, it's personal, isn't it? He's there all the time. In Matthew 6, 17 and 18, it says, But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So just a little New Testament touch there of the secret place as well. The secret place that we enter into from salvation. You know, when we get saved, we start this relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus you know, we get this special salvation swipe card so we can slip into this room that's secret for everyone else. Gives you the privilege and the honor to go in there, fellowship with the Almighty God. From verse 2, it says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him I will trust. So, stage one in this relationship is a refuge, taking God as a refuge. From salvation onwards, I can run to him, I can be saved, I can receive from him. When the enemy attacks me, I can run back to him and receive an answer to my prayers. In Hebrews 6.18 it says, He who, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us, this hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, the secret place, the holy of holies, if you like. We enter in through Jesus to be one with the Father. So notice that verse says, uh, starts with a confession. I will say. I will say. Doesn't our salvation start with a confession? He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him I will trust. He is my refuge, and I will trust in Him. This is not a, I might, I, sometimes I will. This is, I will, I'm declaring this in faith. I'm receiving this right now in Jesus' name. That's what we do at salvation. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. I will say of the Lord. And what's the result of the confession? See it in verse 3, don't we? Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the plans of the evil one, from the devil, and from the perilous pestilence, from the results of sin. He's washed us clean. He's, he's taken us away from that world, and he's made us clean. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. Close to him underneath. 
Have you ever seen a, a, a bird with little babies and they cuddle them in and they get them underneath them and they sort of wiggle around until you can't see the babies are there. You think, where'd the babies go? That's what God wants to do with us. He covers us up. He protects us. He hides us from all harm. It's a great picture, isn't it? His truth shall be your shield and buckler, the shield of faith. Like in Ephesians 6, faith in his word. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night. When you can't trust in your senses, when everything's switched off, he's still got your back. He's still there. Nor of the arrow that flies by day, that which you don't see coming, the surprise attacks. No, he knows about it. He's God. He can look after you. Nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Disease, terror, war, they don't come near you when you trust in God. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Isn't that amazing? The promises there are incredible. Running to our Father for safety and protection from salvation onwards. But how many, how many Christians are receiving all those promises? How many people are actually walking in all that? Because the Father wants us to. But it's the declaration of faith which gets that promises done, doesn't it? What we need to know is how do we get the promises to work in our life? How do we get that happening for us? And there's four steps, and I just want to go to Romans 10, 8 and, 10, 8 and 9 for a minute, and I'll come back to Psalm 91 in a sec. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. So the word is near. The word is close. The word comes out, and it produces faith in our hearts. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, doesn't it? And that's where we get it and hear. That's the first step. The second step is that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, we say it. We get faith, and without faith, by the way, you can't say it and get any power happen because you haven't got anything in here, have you? Imagine going to the bank and getting a FPOS card and think, great, I'm going to go off and spend some money now. Well, that's not going to work. Nothing in the account. Right? It's just a piece of plastic without something behind it. But once the faith is in there, then you have the confession that can activate it. And then it says, and believe in your heart that God has raised them from the dead. Believe where? In the heart, not here, not in the head. And I find that most Christians, uh, or many Christians, who struggle to know why their prayers didn't come to pass, said, I believed, I believed, I believed. And they didn't quite see that it was not in their head that was required, but it was in their heart that was required. This is a spiritual thing that happens from faith building into our hearts, isn't it? And then the final thing we see, a little bit harder to see there, but when you've got the faith, when you've confessed it, and when you believed in your heart, then you receive your salvation. You don't get saved and then think, oh, thank you, God, I've got it now. By faith, you receive it in your heart, and then it happens in the natural. And that's the last point about faith, isn't it? You've got to believe you received it before it's yours. Now, I always like to sort of check up on things and not take them from one scripture. So I'm going to give you another witness from Mark 11, 22, 24. It says, have faith in God. Same thing. Get the faith. Faith on what? Well, get the faith from the promises in the word. What promises? Well, what's your problem? What's the mountain that's raised up before you? That word mountain in that verse, I'll say it to you, whoever says to this mountain, that word mountain literally means anything that rises up before you. Well, what's the thing that's risen up before you? 
Is it a healing issue? Is it a peace issue? Is it a, you know, you want to get baptized in the Holy Spirit? Whatever the case may be, find those promises in the the Word of God to know that God wants you to have that or has given that to you. Feed on that. There's a principle in Genesis when God made the earth that he said, every seed shall produce after its kind. So I've never planted a cucumber seed and got a tomato. I've never planted a pumpkin and got an orange. And if I feed on the promises of God, that type of promise is what I'm actually going to grow a tree in. If I really want to get strong in salvation, then I'm going to feed on the promises of salvation. I want to get strong in healing, I'm going to feed on the promises of healing because that's what that will produce. You're planting seeds in your heart that will produce a harvest and you need to dwell on that. <clears throat> so we get faith. And then I, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, so we say, we confess, we turn on the switch of faith, be removed and be cast into the sea. And then we do not doubt in our heart, not our head, our heart. I find faith, you know, very much like... <clears throat> Faith is like a submarine underneath the ocean, way down deep, and you've got it into, into operation, you've confessed, you've, you've built on the promises of God, and that submarine's just going towards its destination, what you've set it to. Up on the top of the water, there's a storm raging. That's your head. And, you know, the devil's trying to come against you, and you're sort of fighting that off, and you refuse to confess anything that, but what is correct to the word, what is correct according to the promise <clears throat> that you have received. And so you fight that storm up here, but you don't let that get down. And that submarine's just quietly cruising on, and it's going to get to its destination. The storm can't affect it unless you let it get through the head down to the heart. So you protect it. Some of the greatest things that I've had received from God is when I've been worn out in my head, but I just wouldn't let it get into my heart, and it came to pass. He's always there. His word is true. And then it says... Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you received them and you will have them. Or, new, new, I'm reading from the New King James. Um, but if the New Living Translation says, I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you have received it, it will be yours. So you have to believe it's yours before you get it. This morning when you woke up, if you didn't feel like you were saved, does that make any difference? He staggered off to the bathroom and looked in the mirror and thought, man, I didn't even look saved. That's definitely true. Does that make any difference? Are you still saved? Why? Because the Word says it? The Word declares it? Well, what's different between any other promise that you receive from God? If the Word says it, do you believe it? It's the same thing. We often miss the point that we get saved by faith through these same principles, and then we think every other promise is going to come a different way. Same principles, same way. I, um, Maura and I founded a church many years ago and pastored it for a lot of years and um, our children's ministry leader uh, at one particular time she started to lose feeling in her lips and um, thought that was a bit strange, wasn't sure what was going on, thought she might have had some sort of mercury poisoning or something and she was still looking into various things. She was praying about it and so on but it, it sort of got worse over the weeks and months and until eventually she couldn't talk properly and couldn't stop sort of dribbling out of her mouth and then, you know, after another month or so she couldn't walk properly either and things started to go, weren't going right. So she went to the doctor, he sent her to the specialist and the specialist did all sorts of tests and he came back and he said, I'm sorry but you've got a, a fast onset version of multiple sclerosis, MS. You've got a maximum of two years to live and sorry there's nothing we can do. 
So she came home with that prognosis, and when I heard, I went around and saw her, and I said, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that by whose stripes you have been healed. That promise is already given to you. You can receive that in the name of Jesus. And I was talking about these principles in the Bible and, and so forth, and I gave her some books and some tapes, cassette tapes. You know what they are? Okay, good, good. Um, so she got into that and started reading and uh, believing and confessing the right things. Within two months, she was a lot better than she was. And within six months, it was completely gone. And she went back to the specialist and got a complete um, clearance and remission. And he said, I don't know how that happened, but you've got no signs of it whatsoever. Now, that's over 20 years ago with no, nothing ever coming back. So God is good. You know, he's true to his word, even in those life-threatening situations. But it's simple principles, really. And that's what God wants for us. And I was saying how, you know, you can pray for someone and they get healed, but that's like giving someone a fish. They've got to come back for some more food the next day, don't they? But if you teach them how to fish, then they can have food for the rest of their life. And so about a year later, her mother got cancer. And uh, the prognosis wasn't very good, so she went and saw her mum and said, Mum, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that by whose stripes you've been healed. And she got into these scriptures and told her about the, you know, how this works and, and uh, gave her some tapes and books and so on. Well, her mother was totally healed and got a clearance and remission from cancer. So, you know, these things work and they pass on. It's a good, good, good message that God gives us in his word. And that's stage one. That's stage one of the relationship that he wants with us. He wants, to learn, wants us to learn to trust him, to believe in him. We trusted him for salvation. Do we trust the rest of the word? Sometimes it doesn't seem to happen when we think it's going to happen, but it does happen. Stage two starts at verse nine. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. So now you're not just visiting when you've got a problem. Now you're not just like a soldier that goes to get patched up when you're in the middle of the war and get shot a couple of times. Now you're living there and it's more like you're in a tank now. You're driving forward, you know, with the protection around you. Because the promises say in verse 10, No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague or, or calamity, if you like, come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to, to care for you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, you shall trample underfoot. So I'm going to charge forward in my tank. And what, what uh, weapons of, has the devil got? The fiery arrows? Well, I'm not worried about arrows if I'm in a tank. I'm going to roll forward through his lines. Amen? Forward protection is what happens when you start living there. So instead of visiting, I've moved in. I saw an ad, you know, with a room spare in God's house, and I said, yeah, I'll take that. That's where I'm going. In John 15, 7, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. If you abide, if you reside there, and my words abide in you. My question is, are you visiting every now and again, or are you living in the secret place? That secret place that started your salvation, how are you treating it? What are you doing with it? You know, if you're in God's house and under his protection, you've got the right to go to his fridge, get some sustenance. You've got the right to kick back on his sofa and for comfort and peace. You can flick on his TV, which is always on the, on the learning channel. You've got the right to talk to him for counselling and advice and to wind down. You know, you're living there. If you're living in God's house, can you imagine anyone coming in and stealing your stuff? 
If you're living in God's house, do you imagine getting sick? If you're living in God's house, do you imagine anything bad happening? It's not fathomable, is it? You, you just think, well, if I'm living with God, how can that be? I was um, dwelling on all this sort of stuff and for many years and um, seeing the, the, the fruits of that and the miracles and so on and um, reading Psalm 91, 6 and 7, and particularly verse 10, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague or calamity come near your dwelling. And then I would drive along in the car and think, man, it's not even going to come near me. Nothing, can, nothing bad can happen to me. And they don't even know it, but that guy in the front there in that car and that woman behind me, they're protected as well because they can't come near me. My bubble of protection extends, blesses them, and they don't even know it. So I'm driving along doing that. I get in the aeroplane thing, that's going to get to the destination and everyone's going to be safe because I'm there. And because I'm there, God's there. And because God's there, everything's okay. Amen? And I was living in this and then one day the Holy Spirit said to me, if you really believe that, why have you got car insurance? <laughs> well, that was a challenge. <clears throat> thought about it for a moment and then went down and cancelled the car insurance. So for 20 years I had no car insurance of any sort and uh, nothing happened around us, nothing happened in front of us, behind us and um, we were excluded by the protection of God which I thank him for. You might have asked what happened after 20 years, well the kids got old enough to drive, <laughs> they're great drivers, so probably my lack of faith but stage two, protected from all harm. Doesn't even have to, you have to run, have to run back. You're just living in it, which is amazing. Stage three in Psalm 91 starts in verse 14, and this is where God wants all of us to get to. He wants us to move us through these stages to get to this point. In verse 14, it says, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. It always gets to personal. It always gets to relationship. It always gets to love in the end. You know, you start with the hope of salvation at the start and you enter into the holy place, enter into the secret place, you know, in that relationship. And that faith, that, that hope, sorry, becomes faith and you move forward in the faith and then becomes love. And he gets to the end of what he's planning for us. Having trusted in him, having got to know in him, right? Because all that faith and trust builds our relationship. Amen. In verse 14 it says, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. You notice the change in language. It goes from third person to first person. He's not talking about he will or anything else. It says, I will. This is the Father's heart. I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. You're not just hanging around with him anymore. You're just not mates. You're not just splatting with him anymore. You decided to come into a love union, a communion, an intimate relationship, becoming one with him. Ephesians 3.8 says, To me who am less than the least of all these saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. That word fellowship is the word koinonia, which literally means partnership. He wants to partner with you. 
which is amazing to me. He's the God of the whole universe and comes to someone like me who's not worth anything and says, I want to partner with you. I want to give you everything. I want to bless you. And I think, why? You know, that his love is poured out upon us, isn't it? It's absolutely amazing. We have learned to trust him over the first two stages to get to this point. Got to know him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. We believed in his promises and accepted them into our hearts. It builds on the first two stages, doesn't it? It's like a marriage. You know, when you go out with someone, you get to know them and eventually you start to build trust in them and you start to say, you know, I'm getting closer and closer and eventually after you really know the heart of the person, you say, oh, you know, I want to get married. I want to move forward in this union and become one with you. And we become one flesh in the natural, don't we? We live together. We do things together. We, we operate as one. In 1 Corinthians 6.17, it says, But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. One spirit, just like the marriage in the natural. We're married in the spiritual to our Father, in a sense. Not married to him, but you know, we're married to Jesus as the body in the body of Christ. But we've joined with him in one spirit through Jesus. Translated into another dimension, aren't we? See, I can stand here in the physical and the flesh, but I can move into the secret place, which is a whole different dimension in God. You know, in over here, everything's okay. It's peaceful, it's, it's healthy, it's full of joy, it's full of all the answers. When this one over here is full of corruption and problems and things that come against us. But I can step over here into this realm and by faith, and I can take hold of the things that are over here, and by faith I can bring them back into this world and bring them in, make them real. You see, it's not by religion, it's not by anything that we can do, it's not by any of our works. When God came down and says, look, man has sinned and we're separated from God, how do I get him back? He's got to give us something spiritual so we've got a key to get into the spiritual realm. Because nothing in the physical is going to make the spiritual work, is it? No matter how much I fast or pray or do anything else, those natural things aren't going to make something happen in the spiritual realm. So God gives us his word, the spiritual filled word, that when we receive his word, faith is built in our hearts, a spiritual substance, that then we can take that and then we can launch into this, right? He gives us the key, the ability to move into another realm that we can have heaven on earth, that we can have his promises in our lives. Another realm. When you read uh, some of those scriptures where it talks about the kingdom of God, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not being done now, we wouldn't be praying that. His will's not being done now, but he wants it to do, be done now. That's why he gives us that prayer and say yeah, that's the model prayer. But that word kingdom literally means realm. So your realm come and then your will be done. Bring his realm into this realm by faith. And we can see his promises enacted. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us or translated us into the kingdom, the realm of the son of his love. 2 Peter 1 4 says, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. And yet we think, oh man, if I just give myself away, if I can just be religiously do the right things, I can become like God. No. It says here the only way you're going to do it is through the promises. You can't, by the natural, become like the spiritual. But by using the spiritual technique or spiritual promises, I can become like God because that's his way. 
Spiritual actions require spiritual tools, don't they? Because he set his love upon me, set apart for him a oneness, a faith, a love, a trust. You know, when you have a marriage ceremony, they often say, forsaking all others, do you take this person to be your husband or wife? When we move into the spiritual relationship of oneness, do we forsake all others to be here? It's always a challenge, isn't it? Galatians 5, 6 says, the only thing that matters is faith working through love. You know, Matthew 6, 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God. Same word, kingdom. Seek first the realm of God. His existence, seek first that, and everything else will be given to you. But how many times do we not think that way? How many times do we put him last or things? We don't deliberately do it, but sometimes we don't put him first in things that we do in life. I just imagine if I got paid and I did everything that I wanted to do and I spent everything else that I physically wanted to have, you know, food, whatever I want, and then I had, you know, $10 left over, so I'd get to Moira and say, here we are, dear, I love you, here's the $10. You do what you like with it. Don't spend it all at once. <laughs> Is that love? If I take something that I can't afford and I, and I buy something that's not really worth any practical value and spend thousands of dollars on a ring, and I give it to her and say, I love you so much, I want to sacrifice the first bits, the most important bits, even I haven't really got quite got this money, and give it to her. Is that love? See, do we do that to God? We sacrifice the best bits, the first bits, put him first, out of love want to give to him? Do we trust him? We trust him with our lives, and then sometimes we don't trust him with the rest of it. Just a little challenge. For God so loved the world that he gave. That's what love does. Forsaking all others. Do you trust them? Uh, do you give them the best bits? Best bits is a good way to put it. The first fruits. So of your day, is he the first one that you greet in the morning when you wake up and say, good morning, Father, thank you for this day. How can I help you? Is he the last one you think about at night? Do you pop home for lunch spiritually? You know, open his word. Spend some time in prayer. Of your money, your first fruits, what happens to the first bit? Sacrificially, out of love, what do you do? Do you trust them to supply all your needs? Of your time, of your affection, the word love in Psalm 91 implies a clinging to, a desiring. Yeah, when you've had a hard day and you rush home, where do you want to run to? To the secret place? Or do you crack open the bottle of wine, the food, and turn on the TV? You know, where, where's the first bit? Where's the best bit? Where's the relationship? We would run home to our partner in the natural and share our day with them. Do we run home to God in the spiritual and share our day with him? Ephesians 3.19 says to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. To experientially know the love of Christ. You've moved through the first phases. I know how much he loves me because his promises work in my life. I know how much he loves me because he saved me. And then it passes the head knowledge that we might be filled with all the fullness of God, it says. Isn't that amazing? Filled with all the fullness of God. That's what he wants us to be. So he wants us to enter into the secret place, not just at salvation, but he wants us to say, come and live here. And then he says, as you get to know me, let's have a union together. Let's be one. Let's forsake all others and let's move together in this realm. 
Let's bring heaven on earth and let's share it with others and let this happen because let my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? So that's my word to you this morning, that we might through faith and love enter into these different stages of relationship. And I just wonder why we're all sitting here. If we could just close our eyes and think about our relationship with the Lord. And while we've just got our eyes closed and thinking about Him, where am I in these stages? If you haven't met God, you haven't come into the secret place at all, you don't know the incredible blessing it is to be one with God and have this relationship started, then I would encourage you to receive Him this morning. I'd encourage you to take on this amazing life, and all it's going to cost you is all your life, but all you're going to get back is a hundred times as much. To hand over control of your life and say, God, come and save me. While all our eyes are closed, you know, if you, want to, if you want to receive him this morning and pray a simple prayer, I'm not going to ask anyone to come out the front or anything. I just ask you to raise your hand and say, yeah, I want that. I want that secret place. I want to enter into this relationship. I want to give away control of my life, which I haven't done very well, and let you control it because you have my best interests in heart. If you want to receive him like that this morning, then just let me know. Just raise your hand and we'll pray. If we're all saved this morning and you're all into the secret place already, then good, move into the trusting in his word, moving into believing in his word more. Move towards that love relationship where you're forsaking all others and put him first. It's not that anything in the world is wrong. It's just that we have to put him first before we do that. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. If we could all get to that point of desiring him, of wanting to put him first, of having to build that relationship like we would in the natural here, to go to the next stage, to trust, to love, to have the union. Amen. I wonder if we can just stand and just quietly express our love to him. If something's been convicted on your heart, then, then repent of that and move forward and just share your love to God and tell him how much you appreciate him, that you want to go deeper into him, that you want to move forward in the relationship. In Jesus' name, we do that right now. Just stand up and raise your hands if you like and just say, thank you, Father. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your promises. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for what you've done for me. Even if I'm only at the start of stage one, Father, I thank you that salvation is mine, that heaven is attained. I thank you for all the other things that I can attain. Thank you for the depth that I can get in you, the unsearchable riches of Christ, it says, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise His holy name.
Holy One, so beautiful to me. Here we sing. Jesus, so beautiful, how substance and it's a powerful picture of what Chris has been saying as we do life with with Jesus fused to the Holy Spirit we change forever well tonight Pastor Rex Meehan is going to be speaking at the 6 I encourage you to come out it'll be a great night I don't know if I mentioned earlier that Pastor Ray was in Tokoroa but uh, he's been ministering there this morning which is good if you're a parent child, you want something to talk about over lunch, the question for this week is, how do you practice, activate church's values in everyday life? I'm sure that'll make a good discussion. So take that question home. Be good. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your presence amongst us. I thank you for the way your word's been opened up this morning and encouraged and provoked. And Lord, as we go into our week, I pray that we can take these thoughts, this encounter with us, that wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we would be like Jesus because you've called us to that place at that time as an ambassador of the kingdom. So Lord, this morning I release courage in Jesus' name. I ask that their great sense of kingdom purpose would rest on each one of us in Jesus name and that would we would be effective beyond ourselves for your purposes in the name of Jesus Amen Can I encourage you as you leave giving stations uh, to the left of both the exits giving boxes at the doors please be purposed in our giving as we sow into what God's doing in our city and the nation, the nations of the world and have a fantastic week. Thanks for coming out today. Amen. You want to sing if you like. Come on, let's, let's, let's finish this gathering with a, a massive bang, all right? You ready? Can you praise your God? All right.
Yeah.